Thank you. Luke 24 and verses 1 through 12. This is Luke's account of the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, that is the women, came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we uh, come before you and before your word on this very special Lord's Day, a day when we celebrate one of the most significant events of human history. We know that without the crucifixion and the resurrection, we have no hope whatsoever. Because of them, we have full hope. And so we pray that today as we look again at the resurrection and think about its significance to us, that you would open our hearts to be able to see and understand and to grasp and apply the truths of your word, that we would be encouraged by the risen Christ, that we would be uh, led to worship him, and led even to mold our lives more fully after him. And we pray for grace to do all that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are many ways uh, to look at the resurrection of Jesus, and there are many ways to preach about the resurrection as well. I'm sure that uh, in churches all over Meridian today, uh, preachers are focusing upon the resurrection. And I'm sure that not all of us are coming at it from the same angle. It's interesting, I looked over some of the Easter Sunday sermons I've preached over the years this past week and realized that, uh, you know, I've come at it from different angles myself. Uh, But I realized as well, one thing I haven't done is looked at the resurrection from specifically from the perspective of the disciples. And that's what I want us to do this morning, as we celebrate another Easter Sunday, as we come together to worship the risen Christ, as we ponder again the wonder of the resurrection. I want us to try to put ourselves back as best we can in the situation of those who knew Jesus, of those who had followed Jesus, of those whose lives were so dramatically changed by his presence. Three things I want to cover this morning. First is I want you to see the despair. The despair 
of the disciples. Jesus was dead. Let that sink in for just a moment. Jesus was dead. There's no doubt about that. You know, Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate after the crucifixion and asked permission to have the body of Jesus, to take him and to give him a proper burial. But before Pilate was willing to give the body of Jesus to Joseph, he wanted to confirm that he was, in fact, dead. And so he called one of the centurions, one of the soldiers, sent him to verify that fact before he would indeed relinquish the body. If you go to Mark chapter 15, Mark is the one who records that for us in verses 44 and 45. Verse 43 is where Joseph approaches Pilate and asks for the body. Then we read in verse 44, Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time. And summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining from ascertaining this, that is, that he was dead from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Yes, Jesus was dead. Not much time was left in the Jewish Sabbath, or before the Jewish Sabbath, when sundown came, and so Joseph hurried to do what he could with the body of Jesus. If you look back into chapter 23 of Luke just ahead of what we just read this morning in our text in verse 53 it says then he that is Joseph took it down that is took Jesus body down wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut in the rock where no one had ever lain and Matthew tells us that uh, Joseph also rolled a very large stone or rock in, in front of the opening to that tomb so that not only was Jesus dead, he was also buried. If you look at verse 55 of chapter 23, it says, Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb, and now his body was laid. And so let there be no mistake, Jesus was dead. His body had been reduced to a lifeless corpse. He had to be taken down from the cross. He had to be carried to the place of burial. He had to be wrapped in this linen cloth. He had to be laid in the tomb. Jesus was dead. But what about his disciples during this time? You know, the gospel writers really do not tell us much about how they felt or what they did during the crucifixion or right after it. We saw last week that a few of them stood at the foot of the cross and watched Jesus die. Obviously, as we see in our text, some of the women followed Joseph to see where he would be buried. But for the most part... The disciples were in seclusion. 
Now we can understand that they were crushed, dismayed, confused, and appalled by what had happened. We might say they were even shocked by not just what had happened, but how quickly it had happened. Remember now, last Sunday we observed Palm Sunday. And on that event, there were tens of thousands of people hailing Jesus as the king of the Jews to be their king. But now just less than five days later, all those people had turned against Jesus. And instead of hailing him as their king, they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And he had been. Now, you have to realize that a lot of these disciples had a lot vested in Jesus. Some of them had left everything to follow him. You know, Jesus' calling card, his words to those whom he would bring to himself were the words, follow me. Over and over again you find Jesus saying, follow me, follow me. That was his mantra. You might recall that he came across Matthew, who was a tax collector, and said to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew left his tax collecting business and followed Jesus. You might recall that he came across Simon and Andrew and James and John along the beach. And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. And they did. They left their boats and they left their nets and they followed Jesus. You might recall that he said to Philip, follow me. And not only did Philip follow him, but he went and found his friend, Nathaniel. And he brought Nathaniel to follow Jesus as well. Sometimes Jesus was even more, more demanding. He would say, take up your cross and follow me. On another occasion, Jesus said, He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And many of the disciples had done just that, taken up their cross, given up everything, sacrificed so much to follow Jesus. And now, the one they had followed the one to whom they had committed their lives, the one for whom they had left and sacrificed so much, was dead. And his body was buried. And so for those who followed Jesus, the time of the crucifixion right after the crucifixion was a time of death and despair. Jesus was dead. And his death led them to despair. Well, second, I want you to see the realization of the disciples. That is, I want you to see how the disciples gradually began to realize that something had happened. Something was different. And something had changed. On that first Easter Sunday morning, on that morning following the Sabbath after the crucifixion, Something happened that changed the course of history and changed the direction and the course of the lives of the disciples. 
And Easter Sunday, that first Easter Sunday, was a day of gradual realization that Jesus was no longer dead and that this amazing truth was true, that Jesus was alive. But that, that process of realization didn't just occur on at one day. It took place over the next 40 days. As Jesus made different appearances to different people in different places. If you look back to or look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we find Paul reflecting upon that. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 through 7. Let me start with the verse 4. He was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, verse 5, and, and he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, he dropped down to verse 7, then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Forty days of realization before Jesus' ascension into heaven. But that realization began at the tomb that first Easter morning. At their first opportunity, just as the sun was beginning to rise and the Jewish Sabbath was over, some of the women who had followed Jesus made their way to the tomb. Remember, they had watched. They had followed Joseph. They had observed where he put Jesus' body. And they came bringing spices and ointments, planning to give Jesus' body a proper preparation for burial. Now along the way, they wondered how they would be able to move that large stone they'd seen Joseph place in front of the tomb. They must have believed there was some way they were going to be able to do that because they made their way with confidence to the tomb in hopes of preparing Jesus' body for burial. But when they got to the tomb, nothing was like they had expected to find it. The scene really was surreal. The stone had already been rolled away from the tomb. The grave was open. The soldiers that Pilate had placed there to guard the tomb appeared to be either asleep or dead or in a trance. And then the women looked in to the tomb itself and realized that the body of Jesus was not there. And Then they were approached by two men, two angels, who said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. And that's where the realization actually began. Now you've got to understand, it was so confusing, so unreal, so impossible, so beyond human comprehension that it took a, a while for the reality of it to sink in. It took a while for them to wrap their minds even around the possibility of it, much less the reality of it. The truth is, you know, that Jesus had told them this would happen. He had told them he would rise again. The, the angel reminded the women of that. If you look in verse Verses 5 through 7, where he said, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Then he said this, Remember 
how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Now that had gone completely over their heads when Jesus had said it. Remember, when Peter heard it, he said, Not you, Lord, that will never happen to you. They did not understand either how the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, would be crucified or how a dead man could be raised again. It was beyond comprehension. But now, gradually, they began to understand. Now they gradually began to realize that it was truth. Little by little, the incredible news spread. And the dismay, the despair, the confusion of the disciples gradually changed. There was a there was a ray of hope. As word began to spread, they began to ask themselves, could it be? Could, could it possibly be true? Could he really be alive? Now you have to understand, this is long before the days of social media. Some of y'all can't remember a time when there weren't cell phones and computers and email. Now we've got Facebook and Twitter. You know, you can get information out there around the world in an instant. Well, in this day, word spread from person to person, mouth to mouth. And the people gradually began to tell one another this incredible news that the body of Jesus was missing. And gradually, gradually, the realization began to strike them. Peter and John, were told, ran to the tomb to see for themselves. Other disciples remained in seclusion. Jesus appeared to the women himself. Appeared later that day, apparently, to the eleven, to the disciples together. Then over the next, as I mentioned, 40 days, appeared to different people in different settings. Paul tells us even to a group as large as 500. The day he was raised, he appeared to two men walking along the way to Emmaus. And gradually, the realization that Jesus was alive overtook them. And those who saw and those who realized believed. They believed that Jesus really was risen and that he was no longer dead. They realized that what Jesus told them was true. That he knew what he was talking about when he said, I must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of wicked men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. It all seemed so incredible, so unbelievable, so impossible. And yet, they began to realize it was true. Then third this morning, I want you to see the effect the resurrection had on the disciples. And that is really where we come to the most important part. Not just to the most important part of the events of Jesus' life or to the resurrection, but the most important part of anything that we study in the Bible or in terms of theology. 
we must constantly be asking ourselves, what difference does it make? How does that affect me? How does my understanding of that truth change my life? You see, that is the most important part. Biblical truth and theological knowledge are never to be studied in a vacuum. These wonderful truths are designed to impact and to change our lives. And if after our study of them and our understanding of them, there is no difference, if it makes no difference in us, then we must be just dealing with with them as intellectual exercises without having really grasped the spiritual truth and significance of them. You see, biblical truth is designed not just to inform the mind, but to change the heart. Well, what about the resurrection? How did it change the disciples? What effect did it have on them? Well, the most obvious effect, the most obvious change, is that it changed them from a group of men who were so scared to be identified with Jesus that they hid themselves behind locked doors to a group of men who went about boldly proclaiming the good news of the gospel in spite of grave danger. Did you hear that? They went from a group of men who were huddled up behind closed doors, locked doors, to a group of men who couldn't hold it in any longer. Now, certainly, the coming and the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost made a big difference. But I get the idea, reading through the gospel accounts of the resurrection, that the disciples were eager. They were chomping at the bit to begin to proclaim the good news that Jesus was alive. It was Jesus that held them back and specifically told them to wait until the giving of the Holy Spirit Because you see, their eagerness and their enthusiasm and their zeal were not enough. They needed God's help. And so God told them to wait, or Jesus told them to wait until the help was given through the Holy Spirit. What I want you to see is it changed them literally from cowards to communicators. From those who were afraid to even open their mouths to those who could not keep quiet about the risen Christ from those like Peter who even denied that he knew him to those who were willing to stand with Jesus both in the face of the threat of imprisonment and death. It changed them. But another way it changed them was it changed their priorities, their values, and their perspective. It made them new creatures. It gave them new life so that the old things in their lives that displeased God were put away and they put on new things in their lives that pleased God. How do we become new creatures in Christ? It is by the power of the resurrection. Carrie was teaching this morning in Sunday school from Ephesians 2 where the Bible says that you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Jesus was dead. You were dead. What happened to Jesus? God raised him up again to newness of life. And what happens to you? Through the power of that resurrected Christ, God 
raises you up as well and gives you new life. I started this morning by focusing upon the fact that Jesus was dead. You, you can't grasp the fullness of the resurrection and what it means if you don't grasp that fundamental truth. Look, folks, Jesus was dead. But God raised him up again. And you can't see the wonder of the difference it makes in your life if you don't understand first that you were dead. Dead. Lifeless, spiritually, without hope. But God did something miraculous. He raised you up again. He gave you new life. It makes us different people. If you look with me in Colossians chapter 3, we read part of it in our call to worship this morning where Paul talks about that. And he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in the resurrection. You are raised up with Him. You are made alive together with Him. Think of it. This is what we read from Romans chapter 8. You have the power of the risen Christ in you every day. We've been studying the the person and work of the Holy Spirit and now the fruit of the Spirit. What is it to have the Holy Spirit in your life if it is not to have the power of the resurrected Christ in you? And when you have Christ in you, it changes you. It changes the way that you think. It changes the way that you speak. It changes the way that you act. It empowers you to live for Jesus, to witness for Jesus, to serve others as Jesus served. It is what enables you, as Paul says later in Colossians 3, to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, Just as God as Christ has forgiven you. How do you do that? You do that by the power of the risen Christ in your life. You see, we simply can't do it ourselves. It's only through Christ that we can. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In our video on the act of marriage, the little marriage series we're doing on Wednesday nights, this past Wednesday, there was a lengthy section where there was a discussion. There was a, a couple was talking about, a young couple, talking about the difficulties in their marriage. They had separated, and they were on the brink of divorce. Well, he went to counseling, and his life was changed by the power of the gospel. His anger that had been such a detriment to their marriage was gone. And she realized it. She realized he was different. But to her, the marriage was still dead. 
And she saw no hope, no hope whatsoever for its rescue. But she too went for counseling. And she shared with the counselor how she saw there was no hope, no hope for their marriage. And so the counselor looked at her and he said, Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? She said, Certainly I do. And then he said to her, Well, if you believe that God could raise Jesus from the dead, don't you believe that God can save your marriage too? You see, the resurrection of Jesus caused us to ask, is there anything impossible with God? And the answer is no. There is nothing that is impossible with Him. And it doesn't matter what you're struggling with this morning, whether it's lust or anger or bitterness or jealousy or resentment or self-centeredness or fear. Whatever it is, you can overcome it by the power of the resurrection, by the power of the risen Christ in your life. You see, that was the effect that the resurrection had on the disciples. And that's the effect it's to have on us as well. At its core, the gospel is the good news. The good news that Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the dead. And that good news is life-changing. It is the power of God. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Do you know that power? of the resurrection in your life today? Are you experiencing moment by moment, day by day, the powerful, transforming character of the risen Christ in your life? Does it change you? Does it change your values? Your priorities? Your perspective? Your conduct? Does it change the way that you treat your wife or your husband? Does it change the way that you deal with your children? The way that you respond to people at work? The way you deal with criticism? The way you interact with people in the church? The way you submit yourself to people in authority over you? The way you honor and obey your parents. You know, the list could go on and on, couldn't it? But you get the idea. The power of the resurrection is the power we have by which to change our lives. And it really is because He lives that we can live with such newness of life. And so let's go from this Easter celebration, this Easter Sunday service, And let's just take a little bit of that power with us. The power to make a difference. Because Christ, the risen Christ, changes and transforms us into what He wants us to be. May God help that to be true in you, in me, and in us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for the power of the gospel. And we know the very heart of it is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We thank you that he lives, and he lives to be our king.
And I pray that we would submit ourselves to his sovereignty over us, his leadership, his rulership. And every day we would seek to be changed and transformed by King Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.